Anyway, if you would take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Does anybody know what tomorrow is? Huh? Yeah. Okay, what in history, what is tomorrow? Oh, we got somebody that's up to date here. Guy that, you know, is it's relative to to you know our Bible is Guy Fox Day. Now probably some of you have never heard of Guy Fox Day, but it's it's called there's an article here, it was put out by um, Chick 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 Publications. And it's called Gunpowder in Your King James Bible. <laughs> Says uh, and I'll read it, quote while the U.S. has its 4th of July complete with fireworks and revelry, England also has November 5th, and it appears their celebration outdoes ours. All over the country, bonfire societies field multiple parades complete with massive fireworks displays. One example in the news recently was a small town of 16,000 called Lowe's, which hosts some 60,000 visitors who join the festivities. Uh, so, what is so special about November, November 5th? It's Guy Fawkes Day. Those who know the history of the holiday know the significance of the gunpowder plot that Guy Fawkes and some of his buddies executed. But if Fawkes had succeeded in igniting the fuse to 36 barrels of gunpowder, you and I might have a very different Bible to read today. The year was 1605, just six years before the publication of the King James Bible. It was started in 604. Uh, just uh, six years before the publication of the King James Bible became the standard English scriptures for some 400 years, King James had been petitioned by the Puritans to authorize a translation of a, quote, new and completely accurate, unquote, English Bible. He immediately commissioned over 50 scholars from Oxford, Cambridge to begin the work. The men chosen were the most learned of the day, not only in linguistics, but biblical theology. Many of them were fluent in up to 14 languages. All this was happening in the middle of a pitched battle between the leaders of the Reformation and the Vatican. And the Bible was a prize in that war. For over a hundred years, the Reformers had fought to print the Bible in the language of the people. The Vatican had commissioned the Jesuits and the Dominicans with the task of destroying those Bibles. Politics had become one of the battlefields with the rulers of England, alienating between, alternating between Protestant and Catholic. At this point, King James was Protestant and most, almost literally had a bullseye on his back. Jesuit agents cooked the gunpowder plot to tunnel under the Parliament building and set off a massive explosive while it was in session. Their king, their hope was to kill King James and as many of the members of Parliament as possible. And Guy Fawkes was enlisted by the Pope to carry out the plan. He and about a half a dozen other men started the tunnel and eventually positioned 36 barrels of gunpowder in one in the place. In their attempt to carry out their plan, they met one problem after another, so that looking back, the Lord was surely toying with their little plan. During the digging, they hit an unexpected wall underground, but a cellar was discovered that gave them required access. Next, Parliament delayed meeting for several months, and the gunpowder got wet and had to be replaced. Finally, one of the men wrote a letter warning a Catholic friend to stay away from the building on a certain date. The letter ended up in the hands of the king, who discovered the scheme just hours before the targeted meeting. So November 5th was legislated a national day of thanksgiving for deliverance from the papists. Today, to celebrate as a fun festival, a few recognized the continued dangers of Roman Catholicism. But had the Pope not lost that battle, you might be reading a Roman Catholic Bible if we were even allowed to possess one. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's what uh, November 5th. Of course, they actually discovered the plot. Uh, they arrested Guy Fawkes on about midnight, November the 4th, which would be today. But anyway... Um, 
some little history. But anyway, I want to read from uh, 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 1. In verse 22 through verse 25, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For as all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So tonight I want to look, look at why, why we used to hold to the King James Bible, some reasons and the importance of the Scriptures. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this opportunity we have to be assembled together. Thank you for your word that you preserved for us. And uh, thank you for those translators who met together uh, to, to, bring, uh, uh, to put into our language a Bible uh, that is a, a true translation of the original Hebrew and Greek texts that were accepted by the churches and passed down through the ages of time. So we thank you that we can have your word preserved for us in the English language and that we can use it and have confidence in it. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible says here that seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with pure heart fervently. Now, those who don't believe in the preservation of Scripture, and there are many, and even they call themselves fundamental, they do not believe in the preservation of Scripture. In other words, they believe that, that the Scriptures have been lost, just like you know, fundamental church histor- or historians believe that the true church was lost and the Reformation restored it. That's their view of church history for most of, many of them. Um, and, you know, that's the Protestant view of church history, that the true church was lost and Luther and Zwingli and all these Protestants restored authentic Christianity to the world. And uh, that, of course, denies the, the promise that the Lord gave us that we were just looking at last few Sunday nights about the perpetuity of the Lord's churches. You know, God promised. And along with that promise, okay, so that, that raises a question in my mind. Okay, so how... How could God fulfill that promise of having true churches all throughout history to the present day if we didn't have a Bible? If we didn't have the preserved words of God? How do you even, you know, this is a question I often ask, okay? So these guys, and and I've talked to some of them, how can you have confidence in what you're preaching? If you're not certain that what you have, or if you're not convinced that what you have is the very preserved words of God, how can, you, how can you eat up and say, thus saith the Lord? I don't know how they do it. Um, see, I'm convinced we have the words of God preserved for us. And it's translated into our language in the King James Bible. And you know, the, this, you know some people say, well, well I, I, can't underst- I can't possibly understand it because I don't know Hebrew and Greek. You, you don't have to know Hebrew and Greek. All you have to know is there's two families of manuscripts. Now, most of the, con- the, the uh, uh, conflict comes in the New Testament. Many agree with the Old Testament scriptures. 
although they might add some other things to Apocrypha and all that. But, but most agree that the Masoretic text of the Old Testament is, is what was originally given, you know, given to us by the Jews. But the contention is in the New Testament. And there's two families or two lines of Greek manuscripts. That's all you need to know. And so, you know, up until, um, uh, up until you know, probably around 300 A.D., they all came from the same family. There only was one. That was the received text. And then they began to corrupt them. Uh, you know, and, and, of course, uh, it's believed that Eusebius, or Constantine actually ordered 50 Bibles uh, that were to be stamped with his royal approval. You know, that uh, Emperor of Rome, that guy that became Emperor of Rome, what, not 312 or 313 uh, A.D., and, of course... Uh, who claimed to be embraced Christianity but put off his baptism until he was about dead. And um, anyway, he united this church with the state. And he ordered some Bibles made. And, and so, um, you know, Eusebius, I believe Eusebius oversaw some printing of and some putting together of some Bibles. And there became this, what you have is now these two, two families or two different groups of manuscripts one agrees with itself. The other don't even agree with itself. <laughs> um, one of the main manuscripts for this phony group, by the way, which almost all cults and, and false religions aspire to. Jehovah's Witness Bible came from this same family. The Catholic Bible comes from this family. Um, and, and all the modern versions come from this family. The King James Bible is kind of alone by itself. Now, they say the New King James is translated from this family. We call it the Textus Receptus, or the received text. It's what the church has received. And so, uh, but the New King James used the translation method of these corrupt texts, and when they made changes, they aligned them with the changes that were made in this corrupt family. So it's basically from this same group. But anyway, so there's really only two, two groups. And our King James Bible is translated from what's been passed down, accepted by the churches, not by publishing companies. And see, our Bible has become a product of publishing companies, a source of making money. Why is it that the King James Bible is not copyrighted? You ever think about that? But the NIV is. The New American Standard is. All these other versions are, all these modern perversions are copyrighted. There's money to be made. You know, the Bible used to be, and I don't know, if, probably, I, I don't know that it still is, it used to be the best-selling book in the world for, for many years, up until modern times. So there was money to be made. And so printing, printing publishing companies took over what the churches used to do, is print or reprint or copy, I should say copy, Bibles. Uh, so there's these two families. And so from the received sect text family, we have the King James Bible. So it's translated from uh, what has been received by the churches. If you notice in John chapter 17 and verse 8, John 17 and verse 8, uh, Jesus in his, his prayer uh, to the Lord says this in John 17, 8, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst sent me. 
You see, the, the, the disciples, or the first church here, received the words that the Lord gave, and He told them that when He left, the Holy Spirit was going to guide them all into all truth and teach them the things yet to come. And so these are the words that they received, and that they then passed on, put together, eventually the churches put together, and then passed on to us, the true churches, but the Waldensians kept the preserved texts all the way through, up until the, through the Reformation, uh, and other groups that were Baptists in doctrine. And so, uh, and, and the method of translation is vastly different between the two groups. Okay, in, when the King James translators, and I read there that he put together, what I say, a group of 60, I think it was 60, um, 50, over 50 scholars. And, and by the way, these didn't all agree with each other. <laughs> there was Puritans, and then there was Church of England people. And this was part of the conundrum that King James wanted to try and resolve was the contention between the two groups. The Puritans said the Church of England was corrupt and they needed to purify it. That's why they were called Puritans. And so these, these two groups argued back and forth. And, and part of King James' goal was to reunite them. So he chose, so there were men chosen from the Church of England to be on the translation committee, and there were men chosen from the Puritans to be on the translation committee. And, and so you had 50 of these men, and they were definitely scholars. One could read, there was one I was reading a little bit today, that could read uh, uh, Greek and Latin by the time he was six years old. Uh, these weren't just your ordinary professors out of a Christian college somewhere. Um, I mean, these guys, these guys uh, understood and read and understood other languages. They were scholars. They were, they were true scholars. But anyway, and so, and they, 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 would, they would check each other. One of the things they did was, uh, <clears throat> the, each portion of Scripture, of the King James translators, each portion of Scripture was reviewed 14 times. That's a lot of work. So if Robert translated something from Greek into English, he had to have 14 other people check it to make sure they agreed with the translation. you imagine? Well, when the NIV was done, it was reviewed three times. Three. Uh, the method for translation. The King James translators used what's called formal equivalency. In other words, as much as possible, they translated word for word. So if it was a, if it was a verb in Greek, they tried to translate it as a verb in English. Now, you can't always do that when you've got different languages. And, 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 so, and that's why you have... And they were honest, okay? Whether it was problems and they couldn't make a complete sentence in English... They added words. That's why you have italicized words in your King James Bible. To make sense in English. But what they're really saying is, those words were not in the Greek text. But you don't have a complete sentence if they aren't added in English. So, so they translated as much as possible word for word. It was called formal 
equivalents. This other, all other translators, translations have used what they call dynamic equivalents. And basically the method is, is this. Let me read it to you. Right out of the preface of an NIV Bible. Quote, All this involved many thousands of hours of research and discussion regarding the meaning of the text and the precise way of putting them into English. All right. Unquote. Second, second, and this goes on. Quote, The first cone of the translators has been the accuracy of the translation and its fidelity to the thought of the biblical writers. They have weighed the significance of the lexical and grammatical details of the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek texts. At the same time, they have striven for a more word-for-word translation because thought patterns in syntax... uh, differs from language to language, faithful communication of the meaning of the writers of the Bible demands frequent modifications in sentence structure and constant regard for the contextual meanings of words, unquote. Now, what is that? If I, okay, so if you, if you went to your Bible and you're reading here in 1 Peter chapter 1, and you're reading verse 23, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So if you're asking what is the meaning of that, what are you doing? Huh? You're interpreting. You're not translating, you're interpreting. You're, you're, so, so what you're going to do then, if you're interpreting, if you're looking for the meaning, you're going to write down what you believe that means. So if you are an Anglican, if you are an Anglican, which baptized babies. So, you know, there's a, uh, you know, I'm not sure, um, you know, I think at that time they'd have been baptizing by pouring. Because understand, though the Catholic Church controlled to the Middle Ages, there were many places that even the Protestants baptized by immersion for a period of time. Before baptism by pouring and sprinkling really Started to take hold. They did, they did, Protestants, some Protestants didn't always, didn't always baptize by pouring, um, and even there were some places where the Catholicism they baptized by immersion up until at least 300, 1300 A.D. Uh, as strange as that may seem. So anyway, so if you're if you're one that believes in 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 you know pouring instead of immersion, you could translate the word baptize as pouring. Because that's interpretation. But you see, when the King James translators, they were, did as much as possible a word-for-word translation so that you got the same meaning as the original writers. The same meaning as what Apostle Paul gave. They didn't interpret things according to their denominational bend. But they interpreted, or, or they, or, I'm sorry, interpret they didn't translate according to their denominational bend. But that's what modern translators do. They interpret. They give you what you th- they think God meant when he said. And so, 
you know, this is, this is very important. We understand this. Uh, the, you know, the King James Bible has not really changed in 400 years. Now, people will argue with you about that. And there have been updates, but that's basically spelling changes. Uh, I think this came out of uh, D.A. Waite's book. But anyway, out of 421 total changes in the King James Bible to the present, uh, total changes amounting to only one or five one-hundredths one of a percent, the following should be noted. Okay, here's some changes in your King James Bible from 1611 to today. The word towards is changed to toward 14 times. The word burnt has been changed to burned 31 times. The word amongst has been changed to among 36 times. The word lift has been changed to lifted 51 times. And you has been changed to ye 82 times. Now let me ask you a very deep theological question. Does that change the meaning? No, it doesn't. Here's where most of the changes, thousands of changes took place in spelling. Okay? You know how they used to spell the word blind? B-L-I-N-D-E. Sin? Sin used to be spelled S-I-N-N-E. Now we spell it S-I-N. So there are thousands of those kind of changes from 1611 to our modern day King James Bible. But that doesn't change anything. It didn't change anything. You know, there's nothing wrong with bringing a Bible into contemporary language as long as it's true to the original text. And see, the problem, the reason we don't have updated, an updated, another updated King James Bible is, you know, because some say, well, we got still have those archaic words in there, you know, like, like, um, um, let, he who now letteth, and that word in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the word let there means to hinder or restrain. And, you know, in English, our English day, that let doesn't mean that. But, so there's a few of those places like that, and, and you know the the, the uh, um, these and thous, and although there's a good reason to keep the these and thous and the ye and the use, because y is always plural, t is always singular. It's, it really helps you understand the passage. Um, but but you know these other words, the reason they updated it because there isn't enough to make a difference. It won't sell. It will not sell. They tried it. Uh, so spelling changes. You see, God promised to preserve his words. So the word blind, B-L-I-N-D-E, is the same as the word B-L-I-N-D-E. They're not different. They're the same word. It's just different spelling. So God did promise to preserve his words. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And here in Peter he says that, we're not born again of corruptible seed, but have been corrupted by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know, man comes on the scene, he's born, he dies. But not the word of the Lord. It will endure forever. It endureth forever. Uh, as I said, these manuscripts were passed down through the centuries. 
You know, there are verses in, in the different translations, there are verses left out and word changes that affect doctrine. Uh, go to, go to uh, uh, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Even some in the Old Testament. There's there's place in the Old Testament, but the worst changes are in the New. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 20, I think it's verse 25. Let's see here. Yeah, Daniel 3.25. And when Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fiery furnace, where he just threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Well, the NIV says this. Quote, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Gods. And the word son is not capitalized. But you notice in the King James Bible, the word son is capitalized, and it says the son of God. Now, is that different? You better believe it's different. It's a lot different. Look at John 1.18. You know, some people wonder why, why we hold, why we make such a big deal out of what Bible version we, we use. Because, you know, this is, this is how I view it. The other versions are at best good commentaries. They're just what people think God meant when he said you know, and they're not even good commentaries because they really don't explain the scriptures. They just muddy it. First, John 1.18 says, in the King James, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, the only begotten Son. Now that word only begotten has the idea of one of a kind, unique. Which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. The NIV says, quote, and again this is copyrighted so I have to give credit. Quote, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And here's the thing, you're talking about changes, okay? This, this NIV I brought tonight, this one right here, is first printed in 1973. I think, it was, I think this is actually updated in 1984. This is even different than what I copied or pasted out of Blue Letter Bible. So it's been changed again since 1984. Uh, they continue to change it. Uh, you know, as, uh, as Eric Chapman said when he was translating over in, over in uh, Lithuania, you know, he, he had so much of the Bible translated and then he heard a new, an updated version of his Greek text that he used, which was you know, of the corrupt family, an updated version was coming out. He said, he, he said the thought struck him. He just said to him like Thunderbolt. Does that mean I have to go back and redo all my translation? It's updated. Or is there, they changed it. They changed it. You know, this received text hasn't changed. 2,000 years. But they keep changing this one. 
John 1.27. He it is who's coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am unworthy, I'm not worthy to unloose. So here John the Baptist is talking about the Lord Jesus, and he says, who is preferred before me. He is preferred before me. The NIV says this, quote, He is the only one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So what's left out? What's left out is, who is preferred before me. And of course, this change removes the preeminence and the preexistence of Christ from that verse of Scripture. John 3 and verse 13. John 3 and 13. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So Jesus is declaring while he's on earth to Nicodemus, and he's talking to Nicodemus, he said, you know, you know that, that the... Uh, no, you know, no man's ascended up to heaven, but the son, but he that came down from heaven, the Son of Man, which I am, which is in heaven. In other words, I'm still there as I'm talking to you. What was the, what was Jesus declaring to Jesus? I'm God. I'm the Son of God in the flesh. I am omnipresent. I'm everywhere. Well, the NIV says, quote, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, unquote. Again, it leaves out even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Which is in heaven. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 16. And by the way, these aren't all of them, but I just... Looked at some of the most obvious ones. Chapter 5, verse 16 says, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. And the NIV says, quote, So because Jesus was doing things on the Sabbath, the Jewish, Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Unquote. So it leaves out, again, sought to slay him. They sought to slay him. Uh, you know, again, this 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 verse tells us that you know many occasions they tried to kill him, but he was he they were kept from it by supernatural power. They couldn't because his time was not yet. Uh, John six verse forty seven. John six forty seven. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. The NIV says, "Quote verily." Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Unquote. So, do I believe in Jesus, or do I believe in Mary, or do I believe in the prophets, or do I believe in the saints, or do I believe in... What do I believe in? Well, if you just read that verse, you wouldn't know. Just as long as you believe. You know, I've had people tell me, oh, they believe but they couldn't really explain to me what they believed in. See, it matters what you believe in. And Jesus says, if you believe on me, you have everlasting life. Believe on me. In John chapter 7 and verse 8, John chapter 7 verse 8, The Jesus brethren are speaking to him, and he says, 
and he, and and they tell him uh, in verse three, his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see thy works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret; he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brother believe in him. And Jesus says unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is already, always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, and the works thereof are evil. Go you up unto the feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full to come. He, he says, I, and this is important. Your words in the Bible are very important. I go not up yet to this feast. The NIV, John 7, 8, quote, You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. Now it has Jesus saying that he, I am not going up to this festival because my time's not yet come. And if you read on in the NIV, like it does in our King James Bible, in verse 14, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up unto the temple and taught. So in the middle of the feast, and even the NIV says this, in the middle of the feast, he goes up. But what did he say in verse 8? I'm not going up to this feast. So, he told a lie, according to their Bible. Um, John nine four. John nine four. John nine four says, "I must work the works of Him that sent me." Wild as day, the night cometh when no man can work. The NIV changes this to, as long as it is the day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, unquote. It changes I must work to we must work. And, and so it changes the we, the I to we, you know, and it, it, uh, uh, destroys uniqueness of Christ as sent as one of the Father and really places him equal with the disciples. No, God sent Jesus and Jesus sent the disciples into the world. You know, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, the whole verse is omitted. When, 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 uh, and really what that verse is, you know, the, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And you remember what his answer was? Philip said, if thou believest, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that verse is completely omitted. You won't find it. Except you have a little footnote at the bottom of the page that says, verse 37 was not found in the most ancient manuscripts. Uh, in John, chapter 7, verse 53, to chapter 8, verse 11, where Jesus talks to the woman taken in adultery, that whole passage is considered not in the original manuscripts. 
They do insert it, but with a footnote that this doesn't belong. It wasn't in the most ancient manuscripts. You see, why do they say the most ancient when the, the, the received text really goes back to the apostles? Because there's no original copies left of the received texts. There's no originals of any texts. They used them. So they wore out. So they copied them. Well, we have our copies. And so these in this other family, they find some that are older, that they think are older. But you know where they find one of them? It was in a garbage can. Tischendorf, a Catholic monk, was preparing to light a fire, um, and he pulled out of a garbage can this this Greek manuscript, and uh, you know, and and he it was it would had had golding edges, and it's believed to be one of the manuscripts that Eusebius prepared for Constantine um, that he ordered, that was very ornate. But it was a corrupt manuscript. It was laid aside. It was actually thrown in the trash can. Uh, in Acts, Acts chapter 10, verse 6, in Peter, uh, or when Cornelius sent men to Peter, and two times in, each, in, in both verses, chapter 10, verse 6, and chapter 10, verse 32, if you notice it says, He lodgeth one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And also in verse 32, it, it says that, when he cometh, he shall speak unto thee. It's speaking of Peter, telling Cornelius how he can be saved. They drop those phrases. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And so they drop that. Uh, and I could go on and on. There's, there's so many changes. But the point is, you know, these are why we hold to the King James Version, because it hasn't changed. There's been no verses changed or omitted in four, over 400 years. Because it is a reliable text. It is one we can, we can count on. It is what God promised us, that He said His Word would endure forever. It is incorruptible. Though man has tried to corrupt it, though men tried to destroy the works of, of King James and the, the Protestants and, and translating the Bible into English, though they tried to destroy that. And have since then, through the corruptions of many other Bibles. You know, what's the, why all the modern versions? Are they easier to read? Some people say so. But you know there are more one-syllable words in the King James Bible than any translation? More one-syllable words. The NIV, according to, uh, I think it's uh, Donald Waite Jr., who did a computer analysis of different Bible versions, the NIV is 11th grade, mostly at 11th grade reading level. The King James Bible is at 6th or 7th grade reading level. And again, there's more one-syllable words in your King James Bible 
than any other version, any other translation. So it's not more difficult to read. It's just it is the living word of God. That's why the world hates it. Because it is alive. It's quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and marrow and joints and, and uh, soul and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, it's a living book. All these other modern translations are not living. They're dead. They're works of men. They don't have the authority of God or the blessing of God. And knowing we have that God has taken upon himself to preserve his word, how ought we to treasure it? Why not take it for granted? You know, if we, if we, you know, though we have the word of God, if we are, as Peter says here in 1 Peter 1, if we're to purify our souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren and love one another with a pure heart fervently, unless we get into the Word of God and read it and apply it to life, that preserved Word will not profit us. So yes, we do have God's preserved words. But for it, uh, it to benefit us, we have to read it, study it, and apply it to life. That's why it's so vitally important that you spend time in the Word of God daily.